0: Thank you for calling Gay Wire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line.
1: Hello, and thank you for choosing option three. Welcome to Gaywire, where everything's at least a little bit queer. I'm your host, Terence Adams, and my pronouns are both they and he. Joining me today is
2: Joao Victor Krieger, aka Jovi, and my pronouns are they, them. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton. And this week, we're talking about disability justice. Now, some of you
1: might be wondering why we're covering disability justice. This is a queer show, after all, but it's important to remember the role that intersectionality plays in many, many queer people's lives, with approximately one-third of queer adults identifying as disabled along with queer. This introduces additional needs and fights to be fought, and, of course, we're stronger when we work together.
2: For this special two-part episode of Gay Wire, Terrence Adams spoke with Q Lawrence out of so-called... Chilliwack, BC, about disability justice and the recent expanded medical assistance in death made laws in so-called Canada. This is part one of that interview.
1: Before we jump right into it, I do want to give a quick warning as we touch on many heavy topics during the interview, including medical ableism, transphobia, homophobia, suicide, and survival sex work. So if you need to take a break, please do take care of your brains and bodies.
2: Without further ado, Part one
0: with Q. Uh, My name is Q and I use they or it pronouns. I'm in so-called Chilliwack in BC. Um, It's the land of the Chukwaiyuk and Palalch tribes of the Stolo Nation. performing artist, I do installation art, I'm also a disability educator um, and consultant, and I also run a free fridge, like a community fridge out here. Um, I'm part of the defund police organizing out here Um, that goes hand in hand with like all kinds of abolition stuff that we're trying to get going um and everything that I do is like very much based in disability organizing um so my priorities are always access and like radical access open access um as well as making sure that no one is left behind and that the people who are most affected by um by any topic or or area that is being organized around, are the ones leading it. Um, so, like that's the broad scope of what I do. Um, yeah, there's there's a bit there.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, something that definitely uh, drew me in that I wanted to speak with you about is the the term queer crip. I'd never encountered it before. And would you be able to provide like a brief definition or background of the term? For sure.
0: Um, so queer group is something that has come up from several places very organically. And it's something that a lot of queer disabled people and like radically politicized disabled people have, um, have kind of identified with and that's the side that i'm speaking to um i started using it like a number of years back because i was already identifying as queer and as um like disabled i used the term cripple in a reclaiming way and naturally it was just like this word makes sense to me and just started using it. And from a lot of people that I know who use it, that's a very similar experience. Like um, it wasn't around a single um, political point. It was just that we were, a lot of us were radicalized in similar justice-based and revolution-based politics. Um, The definition of it is really that um, for me at least um, is that I mean, to be Crip, first of all, is to be, um, for me, is to be radically political um, and um, recognize the identity of disability in whatever form it takes as a politicizing identity and not just, um, you know, the product of your body and society in a, a built environment, but like, you um, something that's kind of forced upon you by inequality and inequity um and you know queerness is like this i mean you do this whole show on 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 gay and queer and lgbtq plus politics and whatnot so yeah queer brings a similarly radicalized and radical politicized lens to a lot of identity i think Um, and yeah that's where the two kind of come together and go hand in hand and um, where a lot of us define,
1: define the whole of queer cryptness. Um, would you mind elaborating about the politicized uh, nature of disability? For sure.
0: Yeah, so um, the category of disability actually didn't come about until about, I guess, the industrial revolution. Um, before that, like disabled people, what we would now call disabled people, people with mental illnesses, um, various chronic illnesses, etc. I mean, they've always, we've always existed. But like back then, it wasn't a category of social interaction and, and kind of an identity or anything. And then Industrial Revolution happened and came with it the necessity to work in a certain way under capitalism. And that's not like Common knowledge. That's not something you learn about when you learn about the Industrial Re- Revolution. You don't learn that this whole new subcategory of humanity was created. The political and politicized nature of disability is one that recognizes that disability is um, integral to many of our identities and our ways of moving through the world, interacting with others, and just existing the same way that. Queerness is um, an identity because it's something you innately are or become. And because we've had to organize around rights and justice, um, that is applicable as well to disability. Um, Psychiatric survivors, um, people with physical disabilities, people with intellectual or cognitive developmental disabilities, all of these things have required extensive organizing around to get even where we are today, which is still completely insufficient and unjust and inequitable.
1: How did you personally become involved in activism?
0: I've always been pretty, I mean, I'm a pretty outspoken person. Um, I'm pretty loud about certain things, especially my belief that, you know, people deserve, uh, more than just equality. We deserve, um, you know, (laughs) justice and the right to live and all of this stuff. And that goes back to like when I, I was very young. Um, and so between bouts of like homelessness and, um, generally needing to fight really hard for my own needs to be met as, DISABLED PERSON AS A TRANS PERSON. (laughs) Um, I THINK MOST OF US AS TRANS PEOPLE CAN KIND OF BE LIKE, YEAH, SOMETIMES IT'S AN UPHILL BATTLE. Um, WITH ALL OF THOSE THINGS, LIKE, I HAVE ALWAYS BEEN VERY INVOLVED IN COMMUNITY ORGANIZING, AND yeah, sometimes it's been based on necessity, or I develop close relationships with um, people who are involved in the struggle for their own justice and liberation. Kind of various facets of my like activism or advocacy or general organizing, um, and you know, being organized <laughs> um, like they all come into play kind of at different points in my life. Um, But they all, again, as I said before, like everything I organize with is with disability justice. And they all kind of stem from that, that point, because disability and justice includes everyone and everything at the end of the day, that is fading, facing a justice based struggle. So I would say I started organizing around disability justice about a decade ago. Um, and before that, I was involved in disability organizing and whatnot, I, I lived some of my life as a street-based kid as well as youth. And um, if you're not fighting to survive, everyone else around you is. Um, and due to that, I, I was pretty active on that front. Um, and yeah. Decade ago, I would have been like 14, 15 um, and got this name for a way of viewing the interconnectedness of justice based and liberation based struggles um, because prior to finding the name for disability justice, I I have ADHD and we have like a billion neurons firing at once. (laughs) It's like the way our brains are built. And a lot of us can't see anything, a single issue. Um, if, if we one day see everything as connected, it We can't turn it off, is what I find in community conversations about this. So, yeah, having a name for that ADHD 1000000000 year sensation um, and having people who were actively organizing around the same things as I was, who believed the same politics that I do, um, which, you know, come down to, like, land back, abolition, and real equality rather than the equity that we need right now. Yeah, and, like, all of these amazing people were calling... Like naming it as disability justice, naming abolition and environmental justice and indigenous sovereignty as integral to disability justice, and that also including like disabled people. <laughs> so, a decade
1: for your for your question. Yeah, could you could you um, elaborate a bit about how they're all interconnected under the umbrella of disability justice?
0: For sure. So there are ten principles to disability justice. Um, I would recommend people read Patty Burns' writing the um, Sins Invalid um, to like read about all of them in detail and whatnot. But one of the principles of disability justice is that, um, you know, we struggle for each other's liberation as well as our own, right? Um, disabled people are in every single community out there. I mean, we are in white supremacist communities and we are there are black disabled people. Like, <laughs> unfortunately we, we span the spectrum. Again, same as queerness. Like, unfortunately there have been and still are gay white supremacists. Um, so yeah, disability justice is about like, knowing that on, on a very core level and knowing that all of our struggles are connected by nature of us spanning. All communities. Um, Approximately 25% of the global population is disabled and that number is actually increasing. Um, And it's probably low to begin with because disability is such a a diverse uh, group. Um, But because as I said, we're part of all of these groups, um, we're impacted by every single social justice issue out there. there are disabled people incarcerated. There are trans women um, doing survival sex work in particular that are disabled. A lot of people in sex work are disabled. So yeah, all of these issues converge at a very obvious point to disability. And obviously they also converge among one another. Um, I mean, we obviously know about how the prison industrial complex targets people of color, especially black people and indigenous people. Um, We also know how it targets poor people, which is also intersects with racialization, like, already, like, there are these connections that we're acknowledging. And a lot of times, we're just not seeing the weave of disability in there. And disability justice, necessitates that we do that on both the conscious and subconscious level, what I kind of <laughs> call in my own head as like the body-mind level. Yeah. So that's how everything's like connected all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I never really thought about it that way, but it it absolutely it absolutely is connected that way. Cause I I you you see that everything is connected, but there's always that that missing puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. We're not sure where where it is. Like you're like yeah.
0: I know that this is going to be connected. I know at some point it's going to be, and often if you sift through down to the bottom of it, if it's nothing else, there's a disability connection. (laughs) You're like, okay, (laughs) comes in here, goes out there. (laughs) Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I know that there was a particular topic Mm. that you wanted to speak with me about. So could you tell me a bit about the recently expanded assisted dying laws in Canada?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I did really want to speak about this because honestly, I've taken on uh, the role of galvanizing queer and trans people on this issue, um, at least in my own, as far as my own reach can do that. (laughs) (laughs) which is not extensive but it's a start Um, but just this March um, a bill went through Bill C-7 to expand um, medical assistance in dying across Canada we already have or had legalized assistance in dying um, through Bill C-14 um which i think comes from 2016 um which allowed people to apply for medical assistance in death or made um if their death was considered reasonably foreseeable so it didn't mean that they had to be terminally ill but if someone had you know if they had cancer and they weren't terminally ill but they were in their 80s or their 90s um And you could kind of be like yeah this person might live another if they survive the cancer they might live another 10 maybe 20 years right um then they could apply and potentially qualify for MAID um now that safeguard of their death having to be reasonably foreseeable has been removed um the qualification for accessing made currently is, um, I mean, there are a number of them, but one of them that was changed through C7 is that um, someone is um, experiencing intolerable suffering um, as caused by a medical diagnosis. Um currently the sole factor cannot be a mental illness that's i think that's set to change still in 2023 where an underlying the underlying medical factor can be a mental illness and nothing else Um, so i've been i've been organizing personally around this for not very long i haven't waded into these politics because they're very um Personally, painful and um, I mean, triggering. Um, a lot of disabled people, in particular, have trauma around being offered made, even though that was not legal under C14, um, and I'm not an exception to that. Um, but Back in March, my friend Gabrielle Peters, who's a core organizer around this, along with Catherine Frazee and Trudeau Lemons, I'll drop a bunch of other names I think people should go look up while I'm talking. Um, but these people, are Gabrielle rather, um, was joining up with Catherine Frazee, who's out in Nova Scotia, Brunswick, and I can never remember which one. Um, and they organized what we ended up calling the disability filibuster because that was Catherine's original idea. It was a, a filibuster um, to mainly to bring attention that a lot of disabled voices were not being centered in the conversation around maid expansion. Um, it ended up not being quite what one would define as a filibuster, and I can't give a succinct definition, so um, apologies, but not uh, a traditional filibuster but we did quite a lengthy zoom call and series of things <laughs> um, that i
1: could expand on um yeah go for
0: it yeah gabrielle or i call her g and catherine organized this against c7 and it ended up being disabled people from across canada and internationally um tuning in for, like, art and Trudeau Lemons gave a fantastic, like, uh, legal, like, presentation is the word, um, on, on C7 and, and its um, potential ramifications for disabled people not actually wanting to access MAID but potentially being coerced into it or for, like, intellectually disabled people um, not being given full information. Um, we explored a lot during the filibuster. Um, it's all archived at, or not all of it, but most of it is archived at disabilityfilibuster.ca or org. If you look up the Disability Filibuster website on Google, it'll do the thing. But yeah, there's like book readings. Um, I hosted just by nature of uh, most people being in bed and whatnot and me wanting to get some queer crip voices on the on the stream uh, for sure Um, I hosted a a few late night (laughs) filibuster is what we ended up jokingly calling it Um, where you know queer crips just talked about being in poverty being queer our concerns with made there were a lot of jokes dark humor is necessary but this thing was organized in a weekend and was radically accessible um, or tried to be uh, we organized on what's called or what we refer to as crip time is a really good essay by that name um, can't remember the author but it's a really good essay and it expands on queer time um, but crip time just being you know as our bodies and minds allow, <laughs> um, but it did come together in a weekend, um, and then we were subject to like a number of Zoom bombings on the Monday that we launched, um, targeted by like right-wing white supremacists, and we got it back up, I think, by Wednesday. Um, and I'm basing that thought off of uh, <laughs> medical appointments. <laughs> um, it was it was like really pulled together last minute because that was like the week of some of the decision making um, around this finalization of made um and we we're like okay this is one last push. So that's when I got involved in, like, this fight against MAID was my original point. I'm a little bit rambling here, and I hope people can follow um, when they listen. Yeah, that's when I originally got involved in fighting MAID. I do really want to emphasize that people like Gabrielle, um, Catherine, um, Trudeau Lemons, um, the entirety of the People First organization that um organizes around deinstitutionalization of disabled people especially intellectually disabled people is really important to mention because intellectually disabled voices very we get very rarely get centered in a lot of disability organizing even that of disability justice Um, and like that's a really big place that needs to be changed. And yeah, they've been really involved in fighting eugenics is what made this MAID expansion is um, in
1: Canada for a long time. Yeah. Um, would you mind elaborating on some of the problems and flaws with the expansion?
0: Totally. So for people who previously qualified under MAID, um, who, um, whose deaths are considered reasonably foreseeable, they no longer have a wait period between um, like being told that they have been approved for MAID um, and accessing it. Uh, a doctor can, like if you get your, your second physician um, to sign off on your request, um, you can access MAID the same day. And that was something that was really pushed for by the groups that were lobbying for this expansion, which include disabled people, um, and really fought by those of us um, who are very against it. And the reasoning on, on the pro-made <laughs> um, side of things is that waiting for someone whose death is reasonably foreseeable often you are thinking of terminally ill people, having any wait period um, extends suffering, but it's a safeguard and it's a safeguard for a reason because without that safeguard, it's another step towards potential coercion that we already see. Um, It means that you can access MAID way before you can ever get proper social supports. Um, a lot of disabled people live in poverty the majority of disabled people live in poverty. Um, it takes way longer to access housing support um, or get a wheelchair than it takes to access maid and even um, for people who are who now qualify for maid who's death is not reasonably foreseeable but they they are suffering intolerably uh to use the language of of the bill it's only a 90-day wait and that's still i mean housing supports can take years if not decades for a lot of us especially when you need accessible housing or you need home health care before you can be discharged from a rehab facility And if you don't have those things set up, you're sent to a long-term care home, which are understood by disabled people um, organizing around abolition as a carceral system that is not unlike prison. Um, The conditions of many long-term care homes, again, most uh, are abhorrent um they don't take care of people um a lot of times you can't have partners either within the long-term care home like two residents cannot be together um or you can't have visitors um including like your own spouses on occasion especially during covid so yeah this is a safeguard the the wait period is a safeguard that is now removed and made continues to be accessed by people who are very clear that they don't want to be dying they just have no other choice at this point um that's you know that's suicidal ideation that a lot of mentally ill people who are like largely many of us are um you know socially marginalized oppressed we live in an inequitable unjust society and that leads to suicidal ideation because sometimes genuinely you can't do anything more for yourself and instead of offering support in this very specific case um there isn't even i mean i, I would say that like the most clear support that's offered for suicidal ideation um is inadequate and and is like very much a show or a platform or, you know, something to get someone elected for something. Um, But there isn't even a pretend to it in the case of disabled people. Um, There's no, oh, we should help these people who are experiencing suicidal ideation because their world is built against them. Um, Instead, it's legally ratified that we can access medical assistance in dying. So that's, you know, the overall issue with MAID really is that um, with this expansion, uh, the government is saying that disabled people, our suicidal ideation is reasonable and shouldn't be supported in fighting. Um, so I th- <laughs> I think it's like me saying it's triggering is, is quite literal even in the original therapy definition of triggering
1: um yeah so what's what's the goal i mean
0: the goal at this point is to get it de-ratified removed um the way through to that goal is now instead of fighting this thing coming into into law we have to prove that it violates the, the rights of disabled people and there are several avenues for that. Um, you have to go through each of them before you can reach the UN. So um, I think first we are filing human rights um, violation under Canada's protection of disabled people. Um, I'm not a legal person. <laughs> Trudeau Lemons again I really it's his segment is archived on the filibuster website, Um, but my understanding is that yeah we have to go through the Canadian protections um, of disabled people, which don't have a lot of teeth. yeah, there's just not very much to the protection of disabled people in Canada. And that's the case for a lot of countries. But if it fails, we can go to the next step and continue upward until whatever point we reach the UN. Obviously, we, want, we wanted to fight it while it was, you know, going into law because <laughs> that's a little bit simpler and faster. Um, and the concern is that like more people will and are accessing made um for social injustice reasons rather than them actually believing they are at the end of whatever they're able to do Um, yeah so right now um i can't i can't actually talk about some of this in full right now but There are some organizing efforts to move towards those human rights fights that side of things, um, and get like both uh, official information and anecdotal community information on people's experiences accessing or not accessing MAID, but accessing other supports and the inequity that's at play right now and why this expansion should be struck down. Yeah, we're, a lot of us are putting in a lot of time again to, to do the digging that that's required of us to get these human rights concerns heard. The UN, I mean, being the goal is both because kind of the highest you can go, I guess, in international politics, um, for fixing these things. And it has the convention on the rights of people with disabilities. Um, so the CRPD, we already had a special repertoire from the UN say that this expansion violates that convention, but that still went ahead. And you know, it's something we quite often see is whether or not the UN can actually be effective in certain countries, due to those countries kind of, you know, having enough resources to ignore the UN, and not worry about their own status. Um, Thinking of, you know, most of uh, Canada, states, Europe, um, where yeah, like international involvement isn't going to impact us in the same way that it would in um, destabilized countries. I guess the hope is that the UN does something more concrete if we do end up reaching them. Um, I think it's obvious that we don't have faith in the other levels before the UN. The, the goal is that the UN does something more concrete towards supporting and um, uh, enforcing disabled rights in Canada.
1: Yeah. Uh, Going all the way to the UN, that sounds like a path that will take a rather long time and be disheartening, to say the least. Yeah. So what can um, other people do to support in the meantime?
0: Yes. So what I said at the beginning is like, I want to galvanize queer and trans people on this. And, you know, there's, there's one side of me that's like, I mean, we should all be involved in this however we can, like supporting people who are directly fighting it, um, showing up to any kind of in-person or online gatherings against these things. Like those are ways to, to support on one side, but like we haven't seen a lot of that from queer and trans community that don't already have an investment in disabled people. Um, a lot of people just don't show up for disabled people Um, so part of me says like solidarity, (laughs) like you should just be invested because disabled people and therefore queer disabled people will be impacted. Um, but the other side knows that like, sometimes that's difficult and we have to make prioritizations in our head that, you know, we can't necessarily justify to everyone around us. And also this is something like near and dear to me. So I think that everyone needs to get on it. But I also have a very honest and upsetting fact to remind queer and trans people of, even if they're not personally impacted by what we typically think of as disability, is that like the, our queer trans community has been impacted by eugenics because eugenics is not actually about disability. It's about you know, deviation from a white supremacist expectation. And that has been used to target queer and trans people historically and up to this day. We're going to see the expansion of this bill impact queer and trans people disproportionately. Like queer people face homelessness more than our non-queer peers. Um, queer and trans people. I include trans as queer. Not everyone does. That's why I keep saying both. But I'm just going to say queer now because I do. But queer people are like recorded as experiencing homelessness at a far greater number 25 to 40% is the latest statistic. Queer youth who were surveyed and um, reported experiencing some form of homelessness. Um, that's from Trans Pulse, I think back in. Well, might be as recent as 2020. That's, that's a huge number. 25 to 40% of queer youth experiencing homelessness is way too high. Um, I can't off the top of my head, give a number for non-queer youth. Um, the other side of it is that, you know, non-queer youth uh, do not get surveyed for uh, levels of homelessness at quite the rate because they don't need to be all the time because overwhelmingly, uh, people accessing youth services are queer, um, and racialized and disabled, you know, we, we experiencing disability, experience disability, about 19% of, um, queer people were surveyed as, um, experiencing some form of disability. And that number jumped when that was specified as mental illness. Um, I think it was 43% I identified as either being mad, mentally ill, or a psychiatric survivor. Um, so yeah, these are, these are really high numbers. And when the 2023 sunset clause comes into play, people will be able to qualify for MAID on the basis of mental illness alone, as I said. And that is going to Affect queer people, especially multiply marginalized queer people, a lot. A lot of us experience mental illness, and a lot of us don't see hope, depending on where we live. Especially, a lot of us don't have support and don't have, you know, the the material affirmation that our lives matter to those around us and that we're not wrong for who we are. You know, I. I You've lived in Vancouver recently and <laughs> it's a very different story um, in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, you know, it's very much a queer city. I currently live in Chilliwack and it's not. We're considered the Bible Belt of BC.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> and I've lived in rural Alberta. Um, these places aren't queer affirming, for me. And, you know, living in a hostile environment is a great way to trigger mental illness and suicidal ideation, which, you know, yeah, just destroys people uh, for, for years. So yeah, the number of us impacted by disability and, and mental illness is really high. And we don't want to be seeing our queer siblings, like queer youth. Um, I mean, they have to be 18 plus, but we don't want to be seeing our peers um, dying when they don't have to be. and. That goes for like older adults as well who grew up in these hostile environments and still have like a lot of internalized shame and fear and life hardships. So what I want from queer people is to show up for the fight. Um, You might be able to hear my dog walking around. (laughs) I'm not sure. But yeah, I want queer people to show up for this fight and I want queer people from cities especially to be showing up for this because it's rural queer people who are going to be suffering the most um you know I want people to understand where eugenics come from Um, and I mean it it comes from Canada and the states Um, it was exported and then re-imported but it comes from here and it affects so many of us I want queer people to, like, care about disabled queers, really. Like, I want queer, like, non-disabled queer people, people who don't have chronic illnesses, invisible illnesses, um, mental illnesses, neurodivergencies. Like, there is such a broad definition of disability, and people who aren't impacted by them at all or have not yet recognized the political nature of the... The ways that they are disabled they need to, <laughs> we need to care we need to you know stretch ourselves a little bit uh and maybe organize and and show up for each other um that's my idea of like community is exactly that you can't be in community with me and not realize that this is like life or death um and that the life matters like that is important and it's important to me and it should be important to like the broad you of queer people (laughs) um yeah that's that's what i want (laughs)
2: That was Q Lawrence speaking with Gay Wire reporter Terence Adams about disability justice and a special focus on the magically assisted death in laws in so-called Canada.
1: You're listening to Gaywire Wire on CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton, and we've run out of time for our episode today. While you wait for part two of my interview with Q Lawrence, Be sure to check out all of our other episodes of Gaywire, which can be found wherever you like to get your podcasts. Also in the meantime, you can check out Q's social media, which is at QJustTheLetter on Instagram. Additionally, CJSR is a small campus community radio station, and to do what we do, we need the monetary donations from listeners such as yourself. So if you have a couple of spare dollars kicking around, think about donating it to your local queers on the radio so we can keep doing what we're doing. Anyways.
2: Thank you to our guest, Ki Lawrence, and be sure to tune in next week for the second half of this interview on Disability Justice in Canada. Thank you so much for listening. Today's show was produced by Shana Giles, Terrence Adams, Ash Halinda, Artemis Beasley, and myself, Joao Victor Krieger.
1: Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook or Twitter at Gaywire and at GaywireCJSR on Instagram. Let us know what you think of the show. Hit up the DM sometime. Or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email gaywire at cjsr.com. And you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson. Original music by Doug Hoyer and Katherine Hiltz.
2: Until next week, keep it breezy and
0: please stay on the line.